На трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона Разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. There's another international break this week, but we're finally getting towards the end of it. Russia played the remaining two World Cup qualifying games against Slovenia with a 2-1 win in Sochi and then travelled to Slovakia and only lose 2-1 away from home. A certain Kavica Kratzkeria also tore up the internet and Twitter in particular this week with a goal against Spain and some overall fantastic performances for Georgia and, and their relevant World Cup qualifiers. The Russia under-21s unfortunately crashed out of the under-21 European Championships with two disappointing results, a 2-0 loss to France and then a 3-0 thrashing by Denmark. And finally, Nikolai Laren has also stood down as a director from Chitanova. We'll be covering that all, and to do so is David Sanson. Good evening, James. And Richard Pike. Good evening, James. How are we all? I must admit, I'm glad we've got to the end of the international break. I know a lot of people out there really enjoy it, and there's some online have tried to start like a resurgence and a renaissance of like bring back the international break and like bring back the respect for it. But to be honest, I just I'm just glad it's ended. It's a complete waste of two weeks, and I wish it would go away. Anyway, <laughs> Richard, you kept a keen eye on some of Russia's games. <laughs> How do you think that they played in the good win over Slovenia and then bad loss to Slovakia? Um. Well, having watched both games, I'm going to isolate the, res- the performance aspect of both and the results aspect of both. Um, I would say, having watched both games, that in terms of performance, it was sort of a 50-50 international break for Russia's senior team. If you take away the results of both games, analyse the performance, I thought second halves of both the Slovenia and Slovakia game were overall probably, in terms of standard, probably between decent and good. Second half against Slovenia was probably the best performance of the two games. Uh, in the first half of the game, I thought I thought Russia were a little bit lucky to go in at half-time leading. Slovenia, um, you know, created a good few chances. Um, and, you know, with the exception of the two goals scored by Zuba, Russia didn't really create that many chances themselves. However, I will credit them the second half of that match against Slovenia, though. They, they limited Slovenia to very, very few second-half opportunities overall. And, you know, they could have won by more than the one-goal margin of victory. Um, although the first half performance against Slovakia was very poor um, generally little creative spark from the team that goal that they conceded to was poor defending from a corner and you can't give a quality central defender like Milan Skriniar um, you can't leave him free in the box to head home like he did um, I'd say Russia improved after the break in the Slovakia game and to be fair there was there was little that they could do with the Robert Mack goal I will give Robert Mack credit the ex-Zenit player you know, I will give him a lot of credit for his goal it was a lovely dribbling run and a finish from him um, and you know he, he had a good game overall Robert Mack I thought um, and after that eventual Slovak winner that Mack scored Russia pushed forward but didn't really create enough chances to 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 get at least a point from that game they didn't really look too menacing more needed really to be done to break down a Slovakia defence. And, you know, when you've got a terrific player like Skriniar at the heart of it, I, I watch a lot of Serie A in addition to the RPL, and Skriniar has been brilliant this season for Inter Milan. Um, 
and that was that. And, you know, there's, there's two ways of analysing international break, I guess, from Spornaya's perspective and, and from Stanislav Chertasov's perspective perspective too. On the one hand, you could say, you know, it's been it's been a funny international break overall. You know, we only have to look at the the shot result from last night with North Macedonia beating Germany in Germany, you know. Um, and, you know, there's been a few other shot results too. You know, and we've also got to remember as well that international managers generally can't produce the same high calibre displays as club managers as they have you know, a lot less time with the players than those in the club game get. And also in recent international breaks, we've been cramming three games into the schedule too. So there's even less time to train your players between between the games. So, you know, I'll defend, I'll still defend any international manager, including Church Soft to an extent there. Um, you know, I'm also a bit puzzled looking at it from an England perspective too, at how much criticism some like Gareth Southgate's been getting. I think some of it's been over the top in my opinion, but, you know... It's sometimes international managers get a little bit unfairly criticised. But however, on the flip side of the argument, not only for Russia recently have results not been great by Cherchesov, but the performances haven't been good either. I'd probably say the turning point for Cherchesov really was that October international break when Russia had those two Nations League games at home. I think it was against Turkey and Hungary and drew them both. And that was a golden chance to put themselves in a prime position to win their Nations League group. And I just think since those two results, the, it's really all just fallen off a cliff since then. You know, some of his call-ups continue to baffle, even though I thought this squad was better than some of the squads he's picked in the past. The performances haven't been great. The results have not been great either. You know, the, the Serbia game was an abomination. Um, very mixed performances from this international break. The squad's starting to get a bit stagnant now and it hasn't really been refreshed. And, you know, I, I've got to admit now, even I'm getting a little bit worried now with Russia. I'm beginning to wonder now if it might be the time for a, a new face in charge after the Euros, you know, for Spornaya to move on from Stani. Um, it's starting to get a little bit stale now at the moment. And I've got to admit, I'm a little bit less confident now going into the Euros this summer and the rest of the World Cup qualification campaign as I was maybe this time six, seven, eight months ago. You know, I'm starting to get a little bit... Um, Skeptical about Russia's chances of making the knockouts of the Euros now and making the Qatar World Cup, I have to admit. So, you know, it's it's a huge, huge next tournament for this huge, huge next competitive bunch of games for Stanley at the Euros. He's we've got to start seeing more from this team. Of course, this set of games did see the return of Alexander Golovin in midfield. He's been injured and in and out of the team for Monaco and France this year but in league on he has grabbed seven assists and four goals in just 14 games and been earning some rave reviews for when he is playing how do you think he played Richard in these three games I think when you watch Golovin you can tell the class aspect of you know you can tell he plays in the top five league, you know, and um, the caliber of opponents, even, you know, I think with his injuries, they've been easing him back into the side. I also think it's important to remember as well that Nico Kovac does tend to play two strikers with Monaco. I, I, I listen to a few French football podcasts and, you know, Wissam Benya there and, and um, Kevin Volant play up front for Monaco. So they play a two-striker formation. So sometimes they're very, very, you know, they don't always play Golovin. They have to strike the right balance between attack and defence, of course, like any manager does. But even when, you know, even when he's not been starting all the time for Monaco, you can still tell with Golovin he's been getting assists in games. He got that hat trick a few, I think it was about a month ago. 
And you can still tell, even like even though he's not been a regular all season for Monaco, you can tell when he plays for Spornaya, his touch, his movement off the ball, his overall getting involved with play, it, it, it is far higher. And you can tell he's exposed to a higher calibre of opponent every week. So, you know, I think he his class still shines through, I think, um, Golovin, when he and it was the same during this international break. So I thought I thought he played quite well in some of the games. Um but you know, Russia's got to ultimately start producing more players like Golovin and we've got to start seeing probably a few more Russian players start going abroad to get that exposure against a higher calibre of opponent. Now, I'm a bit disappointed how it's fallen a bit flat with Miranchuk this season at Atalanta. Uh, I'm sort of hoping that, you know, people will look at Golovin and generally when he has played for Monaco, how successful he's been when judging whether or not to go into the market to buy Russian players and not just look at the Miranchuk example. It is a bit of a shame that it's not quite worked out there for him in his first season. Hopefully, second season, he'll come back after the Euros this summer and have a good season at Atalanta. But you can tell Golovin's got the class when he plays for Russia. Um, we just need to surround him with more class, I think. Yeah. And lots of journalists have really put Chichisov under pressure from these from these spate of results. Obviously, these disappointing performances and mixed team selections do go further back. But the standard of coaching, I think, is just not good enough at this level. Uh, David, what what do you think? Do you think that Stani's really on borrowed time right now? I think he's going to stay in the role for quite some time going ahead. Um, well, I remember last year we did a pod and I said I thought he would be here until after the Euros. I don't think we'll see a change to after the Euros. And we've seen Russia in general, not just at senior they like to keep a project and they like to keep it stable. Um, that's why we've seen all the under-21s groups stay the same rather than a lot of them being used in the seniors. Um, I think they may well look to replace them after the Euros. Um, you know, squad squad, and team selection and management. Uh, a lot of Russian levels internationally and club has always been a bit suspect and, you know, Potentially not at the best level. Um, I felt bad for Alexander Mostovoy, who... Um, no, no, not and- Alexander, Andrew Mostovoy, right? I always get those two names mixed up for him. Um, I think he got subbed on and subbed off on the in the same match on two occasions over the over the break. Certainly against Slovakia, he was subbed on half-time and then was subbed off later on uh, to make way for Sobolev. Rather, rather than bringing off like another defender, they took off were you know a, a bright attacking winger to make room for a second big strike to stick in the box, which I found a baffling, baffling decision uh, to be quite honest. Um, so yeah, he probably is on borrowed time. I, I wonder if he sort of already knows that it's his, if it could be his last, last hurrah and his last run in. Um, you know it's. I said last week that we give him some leniency with his squad, with what with the under twenty ones going on. You know, it is it is disheartening still to see Yuri Zhirkov playing every week, like Samoshnikov and Dupin. Samoshnikov didn't even get on the bench for any of the three fixtures, despite our excitedness at him being called up, um, which was disappointing. Um, just the same. It's just the same old, same old. If every Every few, however many weeks it is, every six to eight weeks that we get an international break, it's just the. It doesn't feel like there's going to be any 
excitement from the Russian team as much. I'm sort of with you in, in terms of international football. I never get too excited by it. Um, but with the squad that was picked, obviously we got Golovin and Moranchuk back. Moranchuk barely played. I should have, should also add this this break. You know, he barely barely got on the pitch. You know, it was good to have Golovin in there. Um, you'd like to have Cherishev back if if he can ever get fit again. Um, you know, bursting down the wing, give us a, a proper left footed winger that would hopefully mean no more Yuri Zhirkov playing because he's not even playing left back half the time. He's playing on the on the wing, which is even worse. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that come together, but if Cherezhev isn't available, we need other options that aren't a 37-year-old Zhirkov. Um, so, so yeah, I, th- I, think he'll, I think he'll stay for the Euros and then he'll be gone. Obviously, we're, we're not getting onto it yet, but obviously the under-21s will be available for the next squad selection. Um, you know, they're, they're not going to be busy in the summer. Um so the next squad, maybe we will see some excitement going on. You know, will we see Dibayev, Evgeny? You know, we've got you know a few of them did get caps. Um, you know, in the in that um, the Serbia game, which we don't talk about, Dibayev and Evgeny have both played. Obviously, Lesovoy had call ups, but didn't get a cap yet. I'm sure Obliakov will be around. Chelov maybe will be included. Will we see someone like Makarov and Samushnikov sneaking on form again? Um, you know, Samushnikov was fully free to play this time. Dupin as well could have, you know, he could have played anyone in goal that first game, but Shunin played every single game. There's just no willingness to to experiment, it seems like. Um, and obviously, in general, it's a decent start to the group. You know, two, you take two wins. Obviously, Croatia had a slip up. Um, Slovenia had a slip up. Didn't Slovakia also have a slip like it's, a, it's one of the tightest groups. I think there's three or four teams on mm-hmm. six points in there right now. So it's not ideal in that sense. Um, but they've come out of it with obviously two wins a loss against one of the rivals isn't ideal but it seems it feels like at this point this group is going to be very tight um and it certainly seems like the home games are going to be the ones that they're gonna you know they're gonna try and capitalize on uh and maybe cyprus will be able to you know spring some surprises croatia who were the top seeds right don't seem like they're going to be um storming away like the other top seeds in the other groups will and um, yeah, this group will be interesting because you've got Slovenia, Slovakia. Slovenia obviously have been at World Cups in the Euros. Slovakia, the Euros obviously beat Russia famously in uh, Euro 2016. Croatia, obviously, we've got history of them in the World Cup too. So, you know, it's there's four teams there who are competitive at international tournaments in the last decade. Um, so it's a, it's, it will be a tight group. And um you know, you'd have probably preferred a point. It was it was not a great game from what I saw of Russia Slovakia. Very uninspiring. I mean, the defending for the for the first goal was comical. Um, but yeah, you know, we just want to get past it now. I mean, we've got we've got past that bit, and that's this was the better of the two international bits in the last seven days as well. And we're still a bit depressed. So, um, you know, let's just uh, get on with it and carry on, I suppose. I mean, when you take the results in isolation, look at the standings. I mean, it's currently uh, Croatia top with six from three, then Russia with six from three, Slovakia with five from three, then Cyprus with four from three, and then Slovenia with three from three. It, it is a very tight group, like you said, David. I mean, Cyprus surprised everyone with the 1-0 victory over Slovenia. Hmm. And Slovenia also beat Croatia. 
So Slovenia lost against Cyprus, but beat Croatia. So it's going to be a very strange group this year. But, I mean, and Russia's results on paper were all right, weren't particularly ideal, but considering how tight it is, they were fine. The problem I have and why I'm so down about it is just the nature of the wins, the nature of the performances was very dull, very pedestrian. And I'm not, I don't think Zuba's now won away from the record from Levelin Kerchikov. Absolutely deserves it. It's been an excellent servant for his country, for his club, and so on. But Zuba's just not at that level. I liked a, an article that was written in Championat uh, by, oh God, I can't remember who it was by. Anyway, um, they and basically he mentioned about the expectations upon the Russian national team and harkened back to. Uh, a famous interview that Arshavan gave where he, he lamented quite heavily the the high expectations on the team. Uh, that was Maxim Pakhomov who, who wrote it. And he was discussing how the expectations are just far too high. And people rate those in the country, rate people like Zuba far too highly. And I totally understand that. And he didn't just mean everyday fans or anything, but it was also the authorities. They, they Their expectations are too high. They are refused particularly. So I think it's... one of Russia's biggest problems is their over-reliance on Zuba. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, two goals versus Slovenia, scored one of the goals against Malta as well. Like, But let's just say and then we've got an international break at some point where they're going to play Croatia, Slovenia, Slovakia, which would be the three hardest games in the group. And what if Zuba's not fit? Like, I feel like Russia don't really have a plan B right now. Um, and, then, you know, he's only got a few more years left. There's going to be a point soon yeah. where they have to come up with a plan B. Um and do something else, or will they just think, right? Well, we've got Sobolev, let's try it with him instead. Exactly. Um, you know, it's, even it's without Sobolev, you've got Zabolotny as well, Komlachenka as well. It's all, it's all exactly the same type of football. Yeah, it's almost always, as if we always wondered whether Chelov would actually get a chance. You know, when he was in that good form, he obviously struggled the last couple of seasons to break through because of the prevalence of target men in the Russian system rather than smaller interplay strikers like himself. Richard, any last words on the Russian national, the first team anyway for now? Yeah, I just want to come in on there on Stani. And I personally, as I said, you know, I, I agree with a large degree of what you've said all there and also about the Zuba thing as well. You know, Russia are too reliant on him. And we've just got to hope that Chaloff rediscovers that form from a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, because a couple of years ago he was playing really well. He was being linked with the likes of Sevilla, Crystal Palace, I mean, we don't know how credible those links were, but he was getting linked with clubs abroad. And just the last 18 months, it's sort of going down a route where, as Russian football fans, we've been down before, you know, even going back to Ruslan Pimenov all those years ago, it could be argued Dmitry Sichev didn't really live up to as much promise as what should have been. There was a young striker at Spartak, I think Koslov, who came on the scene very young and then faded away. I really just hoped with Chaloff that this would be different and we'd get a strike who, you know, like like what you've been just saying there, who's different to, you know, a lot of the other, the, the, the atypical Russian big man striker like Sobolev, like Zuba. Uh, so I just really hope Chaloff, hopefully someone like Olic can, who's coming at Siskano's new coach, can get the best out of him because we really need a striker like that. Hopefully Chukarvin will keep coming on the scene and improving at, um, at Dinamo. So, yeah, because Russian football really needs a player like that. And then one last thing I'll quickly go on to with Stani is, is that I think it probably is best after the Euros to make a change. And, and for Stani's sake as well, because he really gave 
everybody involved in the country a lift at that World Cup three years ago, you know, because we were all looking at it before the World Cup and expectations were really low. No one really in Russia, even ourselves at RFN, no one really thought Russia were going to put in the kind of performances that, that they did. And they did really win the hearts and and admiration of everybody, and especially in the nation itself, you know, everybody, all the players became superstars. Zuba, it was Zuba mania in the country, wasn't it? And Stanley was well-liked too. And, you know, the start of the, the Euro 2020 qualification games were good as well. It's it's only in the last couple of international breaks where I think it's all just in danger of getting a little bit stale. And, um, you know, you only have to look at Joachim Lohr at Germany. He's probably arguably stayed on a bit too long in international football now, and he's decided to call it a day in the summer. So, and, you know, results against Dale for them. Obviously, Germany have completely different expectations to Russia, but it's still kind of the same thing. You don't want it to get that way with Stanley as well. It would be a shame if, if you know, he carried on after the Euros and then they didn't qualify for the World Cup because then, you know, the momentum that Russia got from that tournament will sort of been wasted in a way. They don't qualify for the World Cup. So I think, yeah, the summer is a good time to cut it off. And I hope, hopefully Stanley maybe even makes a bold decision to even resign after the Euros, you know, maybe just move aside and, and let's have a fresh face in charge. For Stanley's sake too, I don't want to see it end really badly for him, you know, so and that is important. Yeah, hopefully. He's a, he's a stories manager with lots of success over his career. Done very well in 2018, but it does just feel like everything's stagnating a little bit right now. But if we move on to not necessarily Russia-related, but certainly RPL-related... For anybody who searched Twitter this week, Google had a look on. Now, if you look on Google, on the analytics website, it's this man's name went up four hundred percent since this first game, and of course that is Kvitsa. Now he played against Spain, dominated the game, got a good goal, and David, you kept an eye on his performances during the entirety of the international break, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, been a fan of his for. Oh. At least a year now, you know, it was this play, it was about this time last year where he was breaking through, like making big strides in the RPL. Um, so you can hear that car horn out there. Um, <laughs> and uh, he had the Sweden game, he, he got subbed off at half time in the Sweden game. He he tried his best, um, but apparently he'd been reportedly had uh, come off reported feeling unwell. Um, but then when it came to uh, the Spain and Greece games, you scored in each game. Um, and he was he was fantastic in both. He just put on classic um, classic Kvitsa Karaskelia performances in both. Uh, you know he he tore Pedro Porro apart in the in the Spain game. I think he'd earned two yellow cards within the first ten minutes of, of that Spain game. Uh, got his goal obviously just on the stroke of half time, um, which wasn't even like he did. All he did was the finish. Normally he does everything but the finish. Um, but the play, had, he didn't set up any of it. The play just came straight to him. He took one touch and bang. Um, and yeah, he had a, he had a great game against Spain. Really, really good. Spain then stepped up, and you know Georgia were unlucky that they conceded right at the death, um, and they they didn't go away with a point which they may well have deserved. Um, and that got people talking. It, you know, we 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 can describe Kutcher as a as a hot talent, but. He's only known in certain circles, really, people who are like Georgian football, people who follow Russian Premier League. Um, uh, and that's really it, unless you're really on the ball. Um, you know, he's not in any... He's not in uh, FIFA, he's not in things like that. He is obviously a football manager, and um, whether people know him or not is another question from that. 
But um, that, and then he, he had another similarly fantastic performance against Greece. It happened to be watching a watching that with English commentary and um, commentator who um, I don't know who it was, but he a number of times said that he was the best player on the pitch, which he he was. Um, caused the Greek fullbacks problem all game. Uh, another great performance, and then he did score more of a creature special goal um, with with some of that you know unpredictable dribbling that he does. Um, and yeah, it seems to have really put him on the map. Really, really, really put him on the map. I think um, he was like the number one search player on Transfermarkt. He was getting big praise from uh, the Spain coach Luis Enrique after the match as well. Um, so yeah, it seems like maybe he's finally put himself on the map. Um, and now people who who don't watch the RPL suddenly know him, um, and it's it's more than he deserves, really. Um, this it, it's a big week in his career. I think this 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 could be a week that really changes his career for for potentially the better. Obviously, if if it's going to be something that ignites interest in him and potentially a, a transfer, you know the the Rubin CEO Rustam Simonov. Did an interview today where he said, you know, ideally they'd want to keep holding him next season, um, but they won't, you know, stop him if if everything is correct and in order and the deal is right and he wants to go. Um, you know, um, and from what we've, what we've heard from Slutsky, Slutsky is very adamant that wherever he goes, he has to be playing, otherwise he'll stagnate. Um, you know, he he only works when he's playing. He only works best when he's playing every time, every time, and he improves because of it. So yeah, the right move is important if he goes, but. Big, big break for him, you know, uh, that it, it showed that, you know, we, we've seen him do it in Russia, but then the words will be, ah, oh, but he's only done it in Russia. But then that performance against Spain sort of showed, you know, he he actually probably does have the ability to do this at a higher level. Um, you know, people might see his, his stats and say, oh, he's only getting all these ridiculous numbers of dribbles because it's in the RPL, you know, defending's not that great. Right. We actually know defending's pretty good in the RPL. Maybe not good quality, but... Um, it's very difficult to to navigate. Um, it's a lot of it. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so yeah, that, the, the Spain performance in particular was the one that was like, man, he this was that was his test. You know, could can he do it on a higher level? And uh, you know, there's clips of him mugging off Thiago. He, he's tore Pedro Porro apart. It was just a very good break for him, and it was a good break for a lot of um, RPO internationals as well. I think. Um, mm-hmm. You see, plenty, plenty of guys scored and assisted. Uh, Catalin Karp scored. Eduard Spurzian, you know the Krasnodar two guy. Um, he got his debut for Armenia and scored and assist, scored and won a penalty as they won one of their, I think they top of their group with uh, three wins out of three. And uh, he scored and assisted or and won a penalty in his debut um, this week. So a big year for him. You know he was one of those guys who he actually did get an under twenty one call up. I'm pretty sure at one stage and has played in the Champions League for the first team uh, when they had a load of their injuries, but. Um, committed to Armenia, and uh, good little good little break for him as well. But uh, yeah, big 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 week for Creature, and looking forward to seeing what we can do for the rest of the season for for my team, Ruben, obviously. So what I'm hearing here is that it's thanks to you that it's, you you were the man who brought brought the well. If you didn't have the, the faith, world. if you didn't have the faith that I had <laughs> this whole time, I, I doubt he would have done so good against Spain. Um, no, I mean, I, I was always worried, like, I must admit, the the game against Kim Ki, or was it the game? Yeah, there was a game Ruben played recently, and I was, he, he just didn't seem right on the pitch. His attitude on the pitch did not seem right. Um, and I was worried. I was thinking, oh, God, you know, maybe he's not mentally able to 
to, you know, because, you know, the best players want to play and they want to do the best and they're mentally strong as well as being technically technically good. And I was worried because he just seemed not on it at all. And I was worried, oh, because, you know, is this a turn for him? But, um, um, you know, maybe he was unwell that's, you know, and it carried over to the Sweden game. I don't know. Um, but he, he showed that there, there is something there and there is potential there. It's just whether anyone's going to cough up a big fee like Ruben want, you know, 20, 20 plus mil. Yeah, definitely big things on the horizon. It's good to see him get that recognition as well of of the form that he basically deserves because, like you said, a player who's not on FIFA, not necessarily in an attractive league, usually just go often under the radar until very late. I mean, I even had people in WhatsApp groups, Sunderland uh, football-related WhatsApp groups, asking how, like, asking who he is, knowing that I'm a, do this, do the football news podcast, and saying like, "Oh, good see, never having heard of him before." And hopefully, one day I'll pronounce his name right. If I don't, I'll probably get a soundboard of just a recording of his name, just to put in after Kavicha. But I'm going to move on now to the under-21 European Championships. And Russia lost, as I mentioned at the top end of the pod, against France, 2-0. And then dropped out bottom of the group with a... Th- or was it second bottom? With a 3-0 loss also against Denmark, David. It was quite a very disappointing series of results. Yeah, I mean, the mortal game, obviously, we... Uh, no, not mortal. Who did they play first? The Iceland game. Um, we discussed that last week, I'm pretty sure. You know, good, good performance, good, good win. But I think uh, the more I look at the how it played out, obviously the the order of the fixtures. I think if Russia had started off with France or Denmark, it would have been they'd have had a lot more luck um, getting through, obviously. And the fact that Denmark got that win against France was the real big, um, real big thorn in their side. Um, they they played okay against France, to be honest. Um, aside from. Pa- Pasha Maslov, um, the first penalty, not not good. I mean, uh, there were people arguing, like in the Russian media particularly, that it wasn't a penalty, the first one. Uh, you know, and the guy did go down quite easily, but it, it, it was a penalty. Second one, I, you know, it was un- it was unlucky. Like, I don't blame Maslov at all. The second one, obviously, it's just the fact that he, he gave away two penalties in, you know, whatever it was, 10 minutes. You know, his... The shot was so sliced. Um, granted, his arm shouldn't have been out, but the shot was so sliced and it just happened to hit his arm that was outstretched. Um, but other than those two things, those two penalties, Russia did really well to stop France from creating chances. Um, you know, they, they didn't create much clear-cut second half, um, but but they did okay. Um, as, you know, I was talking to one of the boys from Scout Football who... Uh, he watched every single over the weekend, every single game um, from the Euros so far, including Russia's first two. Uh, and he said that Russia had done so much better against France than Denmark. You know, had held their own, whereas Denmark was smash mm. and grab. Um, and he was saying he actually told me, and I'll try and find the message quick, word for word. Russia have maybe been the best team I've watched from groups A, B, and C. Um, and that was after the first two fixtures, just before Russia Denmark, like the day before. So that gave me some optimism. I was thinking, okay, well, you know, because we're, we're looking at it thinking, well, it looks like they've played well here, but are we just, you know, is that bias? But that was a neutral opinion, which was nice. Um, but then they ruined it all against Denmark. It was a terrible performance. Um, 
Denmark hit him with a quick double salvo uh, to use some uh, FIFA commentary, I think, from the years gone by. Or maybe that's FM wording, uh, but either one. Uh, scored twice in like two minutes within the first 15. Um, but they were just not on it. It was such a poorly managed game. Uh, Denmark were managed and organised so much better. They were they were the dominant team on the ball. It felt like it felt so much quicker. They were just pressing really well, um, and just it just wasn't good. I mean, there were some poor performances to both the fullbacks. Tignesian struggled. I don't know how he started all three games ahead of Krugerboy personally, uh, who is you know Tignesian is one of those guys who this season for Siska he's been playing as a winger. Sometimes he's in as a striker. Uh, you know, he's he's came off, came through the academy as a left sided defender and wing back, but I don't think he's as good defensively as, as Krug. Um, he struggled. Glebov struggled. Um, Grulyov got the start ahead of Lesovoy, who Lesovoy had had not the impact you would have thought he'd had in the first two fixtures, but Grulyov had less of an impact in this third game, and he was he managed to stay on the pitch well into the second half as well. Um, and second half, it was like, after the double goals, honestly, it was largely a lot of Russia. Um, but they didn't create anything clear-cut at all. Denmark were very well organised in defence. Um, Russia's final ball was really not very good at times. Um, Makarov was good in build-up. Um, the commentator, I remember, said, you know, if anyone's going to do anything, it was Makarov. Um, he was very good in build-up, but final ball was often lacking, not just from him. Uh, but from all players, uh, Chalov struggled, came off at half-time, having been very good in the first two fixtures with his interplay. Um, um, Zakarian had two, after his first brilliant game against Iceland, had two not-so-great performances against France and Denmark. Uh, but but what struck me was just how poorly managed it was. That Denmark team... Is not as good as there is some experience in there. They have got some experience. I think actually the commentator had said that they were the two most experienced squads in the um, in the tournament in terms of uh, caps. You know, I think Obliakov they said had won his thirtieth cap for the under twenty ones on that day, and the Denmark captain Nelson had won his thirty fourth, which is a lot under twenty one level. Now, granted, obviously they've had an extra year at it because of COVID, uh, but. That, that Russia team should be doing better. And it, it was just very poor management from uh, Galaxianov on that last game for me. Um, you know, the, the fact that Denmark had won means that Russia, meant that Russia before the game, uh, assuming that France were going to beat, beat Iceland, which everyone assumed they would because Iceland had been roundly beaten twice already. Russia needed to win by two clear goals. And uh, honestly, <laughs> they never really looked like even getting one of them. Um and that's when you need to go out and score two goals. The the way they would set up was not good enough. Um, you know, Galaxion obviously we um, has been talked about on on here and in public as a potential successor for Stani. Um, I always doubted that a little, just because of how he'd struggled at a senior level before with with Ahmad. Uh, and honestly, um, some of the game management here wasn't great. Um, so that, but that, and that's something that we were finding with a lot of Russian coaches. Obviously, we've blamed that on Masayev and Goncharenko and Churches of game management being poor. Um, so maybe this is you know a wider problem with Russian coaching and the level of coaching. 
Denmark, by the way, are the under-21 squad managed by a Spaniard rather than a Dane, which I found interesting. Um, potentially a reason as to why they were um, much better drilled than, than our boys. You know, there was some, some good, you know, players did come out of this tournament with some with some respect. Obliakov was, was roundly um, uh, appreciated, did well. Makarov came off pretty well in general as well. Zakarian obviously got a lot of praise. Uh, the scatter boys picked out those three, especially in the two centre-halves who uh, were largely faultless. Um, but yeah, disappointing one. Uh, and they're out now, obviously. They you know they came third in the group uh, with three points. Chappie, I don't think, got a single minute, obviously. A couple of years ago, we would, if you'd said that, Chappie would sit on the bench for all three fixtures, fully fit. You, you wouldn't have believed it, but that's just the, where he is right now. You know, mentally and in and in form, um, but yeah, so they're they're out now. Come the summer, uh, and the next under twenty one selection, uh, I think everyone bar two or th- no bar everyone bar four players is now invalid for the next under twenty one selection because you have to be born in two thousand later. So only four players out of the twenty three went to the Euros here: Maslow, Zakharyan, Amyarov. And Tukavin, they're the only four who are going to be valid and eligible for the next squad selection. So all the rest are up for grabs and will be available for the senior squad uh, come the next selection. So if Lestoy keeps his form up, will he go again to the seniors? Will we we expect Evgenyev and Deveyev to go? Um, will Obiakov surely go? Um, if Makarov keeps up his form, does he go ahead of say like Mostavoy, for example? Um, the fullbacks are the weak, some of the weakest positions in the under-21s. So you wouldn't expect any of those, except maybe Krug. But for some reason, he was not um, ahead in the picking order. Chalov, maybe. Chalov had a good good tournament as well, I thought, personally. He got subbed off early in two of the games. Um, but despite, a, you know, he got a goal and assist in, in a goal and three assists in the first game. It didn't score against France, obviously, but um, still had a decent performance. So we'll see how many of that of that team are going to, you know, take that next step up, uh, and then we look ahead to what the next gen is. You know, I I did some did some searching, some digging, and the next gen on paper doesn't feel as good as this gen. Now a lot of them, obviously, at two thousand, are very young still, um, and we're certainly lacking in submissions, particularly in goal. It's uh, it's strange how you know we talk about Russia's goalkeeping um, heritage. And there's no goalkeepers born 2000 or later right now who you think, oh, he's definitely the next first choice for the other 21s, um, which is strange. You know, I, I struggled. I came up with a Borisko from Baltica. He's had one call up already to this level. Um, Paul Itaya from Ural, who's on Ertishomsk. And I forget, I even forget the other one. That's how like much I struggled to come up with three names. Um uh, Botnar from Torpedo Moscow, who's only 19 um, and has played half the games for them this season. So, um, yeah, d- disappointing performances, particularly the last game. You know, that, that generation, what we thought were the golden generation, um, I think let down by management rather than their talent. I think they were talented enough to go further, definitely. Uh, they're, you know, they're experienced enough. Uh, and obviously, we can't just fully blame management. This, you know, they're experienced players. You know, some of these guys have got well over hundred appearances for their clubs. Um, but I think ultimately, let down by by bad coaching and you know, this golden generation, 
now just slips into the 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 midst of all the other generations past which never succeeded as well as we hoped. So um, yeah, sad ending to that, really. David, I think you could probably do a one-man podcast when it comes to under twenty. I did wonder how long I was going on for there, but I saw it was excellent. <laughs> I was I was going to interject halfway through, and I thought, you know what, oh, you're on a roll here. We're just going to leave it here because uh, no stone unturned. But for for a little jovial break, I mean, after the in the immediate aftermath of the France game, of course, Maslov conceded those two penalties within ten minutes. If you look at <laughs> Champion that ran a story covering the French um, newspaper coverage of the game and, and journalist coverage of the game. And for those who may be unaware, the French reporters are kind of infamously cruel, especially Le Quip. Look, uh, when they do their player ratings out of 10, mo- what most papers would give an 8, Le Quip would give a 6. They, they're like famously, famously very... Uh, cruel at the ratings, and if I remember correctly, you've, you've never given 10 to anyone. Um, one of the papers called Maslov a loser. They said it was awful. In a matter of minutes, the Russian defender ruined the whole game plan for his teammates. But straight up, just calling him a loser, and like, and, and Maslov actually replied to that, and, and he was uh, quite unhappy about it, and there's been a lot of people defending him, obviously, because, I mean, look, these little mistakes happen, but you you earmarked on why I brought this up, David, is about the coaching. Now, I've always worried about the standard of coaching at the elite level in Russia. Russia has got, by uh, in ratio, the second lowest number of coaches to players in out of the major European countries, which is just a, a very alarming sign. It's similar to the crisis of coaching that England underwent 10 years ago, and it's because the coaching badges are far too much. They cost too much to get through, even in Russia. You see teams with coaches at the top level who still don't have the UEFA Pro pro license. I mean, that's UEFA's problem, not just Russia's, because of the price of it. And that filters down throughout the lower down you go, even down to the lowest, the the most semi-professional of levels. I'm just not convinced the coaching is strong enough. If you look at these players, Maslov made the same a very similar mistake twice in 10 minutes. And how often do we speak about players at this age saying, oh, they're very good, very highly rated, could be good if, or they are good, but they sort out these mistakes. I mean, Maximenka constantly has the same thing. His stop, his his shot stopping, second to none. Distribution, excellent. It's whenever there's something that he has to think about for a long time, like the famous Rikov goal in the Spartak Dynamo, Dynamo derby a couple of years ago when it was that long 40, 50-yard shot that Maximenka had it the whole way and then kind of fumbled it into his net constantly making these big errors and it it does come down to for me a lack of coaching the, the the coaches don't have the ability or wherewithal to coach these players out of these constant issues because look they're only young you don't want to get on at them for making these mistakes too often otherwise you'll just crumble the confidence and when you look at the current national team i mean there only four of these as you said david will have Will be eligible for the under twenty ones after this tournament. A lot of them already weren't, wouldn't, aren't. But because of COVID and and because of when the qualifiers started, they allowed anyone from January ninety eight to be in it, who are pretty much twenty three now, nearly. And Anton Shun and with the national team, Anton Shun and Kudryashov, Semyonov, Mario Fernandez, Zhirkov, Dzuba, Dupin, Neustadter, and Alexey Yonov are all 
over the age, or either 30 or, or above. So it is time pretty damn soon that you were going to get that, what we've hoped anyway, I think it, it, it's sooner rather than later, get that transition. And it needs to come fast in my eyes. And I think we need to get, and the, the, the worry I have is that we've got a pretty damn good crop of young youngsters. Yes, they, they didn't do great uh, when it comes to results, but they performed very well. They were in a difficult group, and we've got a very promising youngsters. And I feel like we've got we're going to lose this crop because the coaching's not good enough. And unfortunately, that's not a short term problem. Richard, do you have any anything to add on the under twenty ones? Yeah, just very very quickly, I will say that it's so noteworthy, isn't it, with the coaching issues in Russian football at the moment and you know we're, we're already seeing Spartak line up possible replacements for Tedesco and pretty much all the candidates we're seeing there are coaching candidates from abroad you know Zenit are pretty much did they get rid of Samak at the end of this season or they don't renew his contract in the next season they're going to go foreign again it's a real real worry and like I say you wonder like if there's ambitious mid-table clubs like Sochi who might go down the foreign coaching route eventually so, yeah, Russian football really has a coaching crisis issue at the minute. And I even think we've got to open up the bo- the Pandora's box again about another foreign coach for the Russian national team after Stani. Because I've got to be honest, yeah, it's it's not a good look. And we were just, David just mentioned there about, we were talking about it pre-pod, me and you, James, about the under-21s coach of Denmark being a Spaniard. Um, you know, and I think it is, it's even looking like, you know, we might Russia might have to go for another foreign manager again, maybe even at both senior level and maybe even at under twenty ones level. Maybe not now with Galatio enough. Maybe you might get another young crop to build with. But going forward, yeah, there's just there's just not a lot at the moment. And I really, really hope that this promising young generation of players can break through and can make an impact. And it doesn't it doesn't we get this with Russian football, don't we? We get situations where we seem to have promise, promise and you know it all looks good and then we're just disappointed. And I really hope that doesn't happen with this generation. But yeah, the idea of a foreign coach again might not be too far fetched, I must admit. Yeah, I would like to see more foreign coaches. I mean I have a broken record when it comes to that to be honest. David, any last words on the under twenty ones? Yeah, I mean, just just one final point, which was, you know, we talked about Kutra earlier, right? He's 20 years old and he's playing in the same league as, as all of the under-21 squad. Now, I think we, we could all be pretty much agreed at this stage that Kutra is probably better than the majority of that under-21 squad that went to, to the Euros. And that gets us thinking... That got me thinking just now, are, are we biased towards them? Are we thinking, you know, this squad is really good when actually we're seeing uh, a foreign player of a similar age outperform them yeah, on domestically and internationally? Um, so are, are we biased? Are we, are we uh, you know, tunnel visioned on this? Are we, are, we think, are we actually thinking maybe these guys aren't as good as we think? Um you know, it was say. You know, I I got got those opinions from from Steve at Scouted, and it was nice. You know, it gave me confidence thinking. Okay, I wasn't mad to think these guys are good, um, and maybe they are good. And they, maybe they're not as good as Kvitsa, but maybe they are good enough. Um, it was just a yeah, just a rhetorical. You know, are, are we being tunnel vision of this comparing when comparing to foreign youngsters in the upper, which you know aren't aren't you know there aren't lots of them, um, or or is it more down to coaching? Um, and even I don't have an answer to that. It was just just my internal wonderings there, just coming through. 
I'm not sure if anybody has an answer to that. The most worrying thing is I'm not sure if the RFU have an answer to that. Or even more worryingly, I don't even think the RFU sees that as a problem. Or sees any problem. They're not exactly gifted with a great amount of foresight or our old uh, forebears in charge of Russian football. Anyway, to discuss away from the apparatchiks at the RFU and more so the apparatchiks at a, well, a former apparatchik at Chitanova, is that Nikolai Larin, who is the director of Chitanova and the head of the academy. He's held the role since 2008 and has actually been involved at Chitanova directly for over 28 years now. Now, just last week, he actually stepped down from his role in, in quite a, a very surprising move, which really came out of the blue. We we directed Hanu, uh, interviewed uh, Laren himself, and he was very optimistic about the plans for the future, about them uh, getting promoted to the uh, to the Finnael at the time, and and it really just came out of the blue. And he his quote is that he basically um, the moment has come when I myself do not really understand what else could be done in terms of the development of Chitanova. I have no doubt that an arena will soon be built instead of an abandoned building next to the stadium. The mechanism has already been launched and nothing depends on me in the implementation of this project. goes on to thank you, all the wonderful people at the club, educators, teachers, and so on. And at the end, he, he says, I consider this life stage for myself past, and although my heart is still there, I hope I'll be able to regularly come to matches and cheer for the guys. Now, I must admit, it's a very nice statement, um, very nice club. All the best to Nikolai himself, but whatever he does next. But it, for me, to be honest, it doesn't quite add up. I'll get to why in a second. But anyway, Laren's being replaced as the new by Ilya Savchenka as the new director of the academy. He previously headed the, the Smina football school uh, since 2019. And this statement from Laren, Laren says that. He doesn't know what else he can do for Chitanova, which I, that's understandable. He's took them a very, very far distance in 13 years that he's been there. But then immediately after that, he says that he has no doubt a, sta- a stadium will be built. He has no doubt that the mechanisms that have been launched will continue. He says that the Im- implementation of his project will continue. Well, if he can see that immediately, then why can he not see where he personally can take Chitanova? At the end, he says, I consider this life stage for myself to have passed. Spending 30 years at one club isn't really a life stage, unless he just wants to retire with his family, totally understandable. But I just feel like there's something more to this statement that he's not... And there's, there's nothing else being said about it either. It's just, my time at Shertanova has gone, fair enough, and left. And no one's really... There's no like scandal here or anything. It just The statement itself just doesn't really add up. Um... David, do you have any thoughts on this? Do you think it's maybe something to do with the poor form or the Carilia spending spree, which took all the players away? Or is that just just gravy, just really circumstance more than anything? Um, well, I don't think that has anything to do with him in particular. Obviously, it's, that has, that's had a more direct impact, obviously, on their form uh, on the pitch because um, they're playing with a squad which isn't suitable for this level. But that's, again, that's not his fault either, really. That's just dependent on the players coming through and the fact that they're players they did have there uh, were sold on to fund and they you know they are a sell to fund project as we know um it, it's a little bit strange i wonder if he'll go on and you know uh, would we want someone like him working 
uh, for the RFU in a you know in a youth football role, something like that. You know, like look, uh, overseeing development not just for Chetana, but on a wider role. Well, I wonder if that's on the horizon for him or not, or will he go off and make another school? Um, it, yeah, it was strange. It was a surprise when I heard it. Big surprise. Um, but, you know, they they brought in a guy from you know from another from another who's had experience at other prestigious schools. So, you know, maybe he'll be the one to usher in the next generation. You know, Laren's been there so long. Maybe he feels that he's not there with you know the modern time. I don't know how old this uh, this replacement is, Radchenko, but obviously from when Laren started to now, a lot has lot has changed in the world, particularly in the world of football. I mean, you know, the new techniques, the new stuff that goes on behind the scenes in football. With a lot of that still, I don't even understand what's going on there. Um, so maybe it was just a case of you know, we need to modernize, and the modernization needs to start here because you're the one with all the power. Um, so maybe it's a case of just trying to take the club forward and he wasn't, didn't have the ability to do so. Uh, I, we, I don't know if it's a mutual or whether he was pushed or whether he voluntarily left. You, know, you would assume mutual. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was a, it was a surprise to say the least. Um, but everything else is just speculation at this point, really. Uh, and we'll see how they get on, you know, presumably in the PFL next year, um, and trying to develop further. Yeah, that is all it is speculation at this point. But I do hope that... I mean, Lauren's highly rated and he, he does things the right way. I like his approach to the game where when Hanu interviewed him, he mentioned that Chitanavab first and foremost, was an academy. It was a school. Um, it was about nurturing the players, about getting them ready as as men first, as people first, and then as footballers second. And I think that's a... It's not, not just in Russia, but across... Across the world, it's a it's a, a way forwards that more academies should go down. It it's far too far too often these young kids thought of as commodities and cast off and and left. And there's a an un- unbelievably good book by Michael Calvin uh, about those who were left on the fringes of society and uh, sorry on the fringes of football society of when they dropped from the academies. And it's an unbelievable read and. It, it goes into the psychology of the players and behind the scenes and, and treats them as humans, really. And it's, it's all a bottom-up perspective. And that thinking from Lauren, from at the very top of the club, whether it be, I mean, it, it might just be lip service, but he seemed very genuine when, when discussing it. And it, it, it's really a good step forward. And I would really like, he's only 48. I would hope that he has left Chetanova to maybe go into a bigger role in Russian football because he's really someone that I think the entirety of the country could learn from. I mean, we discuss Chetanova a lot. We are fans of the work that they do at the club. We are proponents of their methods, but we're not fans of the club. We don't want just that club to do well. It's it's just the way they do things. They should be held up as a shining light. Richard, have you got any any last words on Chetanova and, and Lauren? Yeah, just to come in there, um, about that was an interesting point David made um, with the RFU. If I was the Russian Football Union, I'd definitely be looking to speak to someone like Nikolai Larin, and especially when Russia's at the situation now where, you know, we've seen with these on the tw- Euro on 21s when Russia played against the likes of France and Denmark, you, you can tell the quality of those on the 21 sides, especially that French one, you know, they're exposed to a high level of competition every week. You know, the Clairefontaine Academy in France is absolutely exceptional. It, 
you know, it nurtured the generation that came through in 1998 that won France the World Cup and really set them on the path to becoming a football superpower. So if someone like Larine is available, and like you said, James, he's only 48 years of age, so he's still got a lot of a lot of his uh, working life left ahead of him. You know, I'd certainly, if I was the Russian Football Union, if he's willing to do it, even if it's only on a part-time basis, I'd certainly be willing to get someone like that involved with the Russian Football Union and, you know, because, you know, any kind of assets that you can get hold of to help with junior development, to stimulate growth and better performances across all underage groups on the 17, on the 19, on the 21 level in the country, I think has to be explored. So, yeah, if I was the Russian Football Union and Larin was interested, I'd certainly be making an approach to him uh, over the next couple of weeks and months. I'm sure more will come out about it, about Chertanova in the ne- next couple of weeks and months as well, about, about why he's decided to move on. But I wish him well in whatever he does. But if I was the Russian Football Union, I'd be certainly making tentative approaches towards him if he's interested. Yeah, certainly. He, he needs to stay in the game, whatever happens, hopefully. I mean, well, if he retires and that's what he wants, and for him, good. But for the game, uh, I hope he stays in it and someone does pick him up and higher up in the RPL, no disrespect to Chitanova or the Finnell, or even higher than that in the RFU. Uh, and that's the end of the Russian Football News podcast this week. Thankfully, we can finally forget about the international break as real football returns again. We've actually got a spate of weekend fixtures with some pretty feisty games coming up. I mean, Zenit host Kimki, of course, team in in great form of late, and uh, Krasnodar Akma down the south, Tambov Suska, Ural, Andrew Flint's famous famous club host Arsenal, and of course, I'll, I want to finish with just congratulating Andrew um, on his on his new job as a as a full time journalist. Finally, the hard work does pay off, mate. Well done, and congrats on that one. David, thank you for joining me. Not a problem. Good to be back. And Richard, thank you very much. No, no problem. Pleasure as always. And everyone, keep an eye out next week because we've got a special edition where the voice of Russian football, a, a certain Alexei Yaroshevsky, commentator of the RPL in English, joins us. But this is the end of the Russian Football News Podcast. Goodbye for now. Футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь. Но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечов. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.